Welcome to the John Brown University Chapel podcast, recorded in the historic Cathedral of the Ozarks in Salem Springs, Arkansas. This week's chapel speaker is Aminta Arrington. Dr. Arrington is Associate Professor of Intercultural Studies at JBU. Good morning, JBU. My name is Aminta Arrington, and I teach intercultural studies here. Today, we'll, we will be continuing our series about a people of exile. And our passage today comes from the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is a book for people in the wilderness. It is a book for people who are facing difficulty and unrest. A book for people who are experiencing more no's than yeses. It is a book for people who feel they are in between, feel more uncertainty than certainty, and feel more depression than happiness. It is a book for people in the wilderness. A wilderness is a barren place. It is a place where life is difficult and just survival seems to take all of our energy. I speak about this as someone who knows because I've been through the wilderness. In fact, in my late 20s and early 30s, I was characterized by such a period of deep questioning and dissatisfaction that I had literal wilderness imagery circling around in my mind. We are going to examine the account in Exodus 15, 16, and 17 when the Israelites were in the wilderness. But before we do, let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us together in this place and at this time to hear from your word. We pray for recently arrived refugees from Afghanistan, for those still fighting COVID and hospitals and especially those on ventilators, and for the residents of Quito, Ecuador, who have faced devastating landslides in recent days and still are not safe. We pray for those in our community who are sick, who are mourning, who are worried, and who are facing trouble. We also pray for those who are in their own wilderness places. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our passage today contains three short interrelated past episodes. In the first episode, at the end of Exodus 15, the Israelites, after crossing the Red Sea on dry land, have entered into the wilderness and walked for three days without finding water. When they finally reach water, it is too bitter to drink. Moses cries out to the Lord and the Lord directs them to a piece of wood. When Moses throws the wood into the water, it becomes fit to drink. The place is called Mara, meaning bitter. In the second episode, in Exodus 16, the people set out from Mara and start grumbling, this time about being hungry. God tells them that in the evening they will have quail, and in the morning, after the dew recedes, there would be thin flakes like frost on the ground, which the people call manna. And in our final episode, in the first several verses of Exodus 16, the people set out again, and once more they are thirsty, and once more they grumble and complain. 
This time, God directs Moses to use the same staff that he used to part the Red Sea to strike a rock. Moses does so, and water pours forth. That place was called Massa, which means test, for there the Israelites tested the Lord. So we have three short episodes, but all one narrative. In this narrative, the Israelites have left behind their slavery in Egypt, the 10 plagues are over, the Red Sea is in their rear view, and they are facing forward. But facing forward to what? Just wilderness. They have a vague idea that they are returning to a so-called promised land, but none of them have ever been there, nor have their parents or grandparents. This promised land is so far away geographically and so distant mentally and emotionally that all they can see is their present circumstances in the present moment, and that is characterized by wilderness. We can think of these three episodes in this wilderness narrative as interrelating in a chiastic structure. The first episode was about lack of water, the second about lack of food, and then the third, we are back to lack of water. Or we can think of these three episodes as Mara, Manna, Massa. Mara, the people drinking bitter water. Manna, the people eating manna for food. And Massa, the people testing God. Or we can think of these episodes as grumbling, grumbling again, and grumbling yet again. Actually, of the 18 times the word grumble is used in the entire Old Testament, seven of those are in these three episodes. But all of these ways are looking at things from an anthropocentric point of view. And we see from the Israelite experience in Exodus 15 and 16 and 17 that placing ourselves at the center often does not bring out the best in us, especially in the midst of a wilderness. When we look at the wilderness with ourselves at the center, we see only lack, only privation, only difficulty. We lose sight of the blessings that we have received. When we focus on ourselves, the wilderness seems barren. But when we focus on God, we see the riches that are present only in the wilderness. When we look at the wilderness with God at the center, the entire landscape changes. What I would like to do this morning is to look at the wilderness, placing God at the center, and I have four main points. First, in the wilderness, God is present with us. Second, in the wilderness, God is nourishing us. Third, in the wilderness, God is teaching us. And fourth, in the wilderness, God is testing us. So my first point is in the wilderness, God is present with us. Now, God was certainly present with the Israelites during their 400 years of slavery in Egypt, but we don't have detailed accounts of this in scripture. And he didn't make himself known in the big and powerful ways during much of that time. But during the Exodus account, we have numerous theophanies. It is in the wilderness when we see God more powerfully than at other times. An example of this is in Exodus 16. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert. 
and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. In the desert, when the landscape is barren, there is nothing to distract us from seeing the glory of the Lord. It was in the wilderness in Exodus 13 when God started leading the Israelites by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Then in the wilderness in Exodus 19, God descended to Mount Sinai and the whole mountain trembled with smoke and fire. It was in the wilderness in Exodus 20 that God spoke the Ten Commandments to Moses. It was in the wilderness in Exodus 24 that God allowed himself to be seen by Moses, Arab, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 elders, and below God there was a pavement like lapis lazuli. Surely God was present in the wilderness with his people. And in our times of wilderness, we too might see God in full glory do amazing things, more visible in the desert air than we have ever seen him before or since. But God was not just present in smoke and fire and glorified visibility. It was in the wilderness that the Israelites saw God draw near. It was in the wilderness that they began to think of God as their father. Looking back on the wilderness experience, Moses said in Deuteronomy, the Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. The Israelites needed to learn to relate to authority in a new way in the wilderness. No longer did they relate to authority as slaves to their slave master, but rather as children to their father. The whole idea of God as father originated in the wilderness. We learn to lean into God as our father in our own times of wilderness. It is here where we can learn to trust and depend on him in ways that we are not apt to do when our lives are full and satisfying and we think we are just fine on our own. It is in the wilderness times that we truly get to know God as Father. My second point is that in the wilderness, God is nourishing us. Exodus 16 verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. When I was in Costa Rica for two weeks, one of the first words I learned in Spanish was llueve. It is raining. And that is because it rained every single afternoon without fail. And one of the next words that I learned was pan, bread, because I was hungry. Every single day I was hungry. And so every day I asked my host family for some pan y mantequilla. And here in scripture it was also raining but it was raining pan del cielo. It was raining bread from heaven, manna. God's nourishment is in the everyday realm of daily bread. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. In the very ordinariness of life, God is present, blessing us day in and day out. 
If we think he is only working in the so-called miraculous, and we haven't seen our own miracle lately, we might think we've been abandoned. Not so. God cares for us in the ordinary. And just as the Israelites got to know God as Father in the wilderness, they also got to see the motherly side of God. God feeding his children, nourishing them with bread and water. Though we don't tend to stress these metaphors, throughout Scripture, God describes himself in terms that are both fatherly and motherly. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 18, he says, You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. In Isaiah 66, verse 13, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. And in the New Testament, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. In these three interrelated episodes of this wilderness, we see the Israelite struggle to survive whittled down to two essential things, bread and water. God provided both, but they satisfied for only a short time because the fact is we need bread and water every single day. In contrast, Jesus presented himself as the bread of life and as living water. Jesus declared in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he continued, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life for the life of the world. And in John 4, Jesus referred to himself as living water, saying, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In these two metaphors, Jesus Christ of Nazareth used to describe himself, bread of life, and living water, he hearkened back to the wilderness. My third point is that in the wilderness, God is teaching us. In Ezekiel 20, the Lord says, therefore I led them out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my decrees and made known to them my laws, by which the person who obeys them will live. Also I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us so they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. It is in the wilderness that God gave Israel the Ten Commandments. In the wilderness, the Israelites received the instructions and then built the tabernacle. In the wilderness, they learned about gathering manna for two days on Saturday so that they could rest on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, which had not even been mentioned in Scripture since Genesis 1, and it's pretty doubtful that the, Israel, that the Egyptians let them celebrate it during slavery. In fact, the whole Torah, the first five books of the Bible, came during the wilderness. In the wilderness, the Israelites learned 
who their God was and that he was their God. In Exodus 15, it says, I am the Lord who heals you. In Exodus 16, at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And in the wilderness, the Israelites learned to trust God and obey him. It took them 40 years to learn it, but he was not about to send them into the promised land without them having learned it. According to Daniel Santos, writing in the Comentario Biblico Contemporaneo, la obediencia era la condición básica. El pueblo necesitaba aprender lo fundamental, oír y obedecer los mandamientos del Señor which in English translates as, obedience was the basic condition. The people needed to learn the basics, to hear and obey the commandments of the Lord. God is all about forming our character and forming our hearts. And there's something about being in the wilderness and having so many of our comforts stripped away that makes this formation process happen more easily. Essentially, When we are in the wilderness, we are in a time where we do not fit. And what we need to remember is that when we don't fit, God is fitting us. Can we even imagine the Israelites of the Old Testament who became the Jews of the New Testament without the wilderness? The wilderness taught them everything they knew about God, about themselves. Can we imagine ourselves without our wilderness experiences? Point four is that God is testing us. Exodus 16 verse four says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. I was not planning on having four points. A good sermon has three points. But as I kept rereading this text, I knew that to leave out the testing that occurred would be to leave out a key piece present in scripture. God was not just present with the people, nourishing them, teaching them. The wilderness was also a place of testing. And frankly, they did not score well. The Israelites repeatedly failed to trust and failed to obey. Even though they had crossed through the Red Sea on dry land, had seen Mount Sinai tremble with the Lord's presence, followed a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and been fed by the Lord's own hand with manna that was new every single morning, they still chose to forget his past blessings every time they were faced with a new challenge. They actually had the presumption to put God to the test, requiring and demanding water from him just days after he had already provided it. They even chose in coming chapters to worship an idol made out of metal in the shape of a calf instead of Yahweh. According to the Commentario Biblico, the Israelites needed to learn and thus were tested on just two things, dependencia y obediencia, dependence and obedience. These two 
are the lessons of the wilderness. These two are the lessons of the Christian life. Much later in Moses' speech to the next generations of Israelites on the plains of Moab, as they were getting ready to finally enter the promised land, he said, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. This shows us that God does not test us just to put us in a situation where we will fail. He does not test us because he is a capricious authoritarian God who enjoys having people jump around and obey him. He tests us to make sure we are ready to make sure that our hearts are ready for the next step in his leading. God was not about to lead the Israelites into the promised land until their hearts were ready, until they were ready to trust him and obey him. And for that first generation, the slavery generation, in the end, they were never ready. And the consequences were real. So in conclusion then, We have seen that the wilderness was a critical time, not just for the Israelites, but for the nation of Israel and to all Jews and Christians today. It was a critical time that shaped the rest of their story. As Terence Fretheim said in the interpretation commentary, true life must always be shaped by the wilderness, even for those who are living in the promised land. It was in the wilderness that God was present with them, nourished them, taught them, and tested them. And in my own story, I found the same to be true regarding my own wilderness experience. From age 28 to age 32, four long years, I experienced spiritual drought, doubt, and depression. When I began, finally, to trust and obey, which in my case meant that I loosed my fingers that were so tightly trying to control my own life when I started depending on him. When I submitted my whole life, all my dreams and all my ambitions, and I have quite a few, to God's sovereign, loving control, only then did my wilderness experience end. It was in the wilderness that I learned experientially that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It was in the wilderness that I learned for the first time, even though I was raised in church, that God had a plan for me, for me, and that he had created me the way he had created me for a reason. I've still had difficulties and hardships since that time, but they haven't impacted me as deeply because My foundation was laid in the wilderness, and it is rock solid. My entire life now, all the action and adventure, and there's been a lot, and all the blessing, and there's been a lot, and any of the impact that I've been able to have has been because of my time in the wilderness and how God met me there, never left my side even though I thought he was distant, and formed me and shaped me. JBU, if you have had your own time of wilderness, you know what I mean. If you have not been to the wilderness, you most likely will experience it at some point because it's hard to get to the promised land without going through the wilderness first. And if you're in the wilderness now, I'm praying for you. 
that you will learn everything that the wilderness has to teach you, most especially dependencia y obediencia. Let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the John Brown University Chapel Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and we'd love it if you would leave us a review.